our minds and our souls, Lord God. I come before you asking that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Hide me behind your cross. Allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So about seven or eight years ago, I went to Las Vegas. It, it was on a business trip. It was a business trip. See, in, in Vegas, every year around about April, there is a conference that goes on, put on by the National Association of Broadcasters, or NAB for short. Uh, that's where you get, find all the latest and greatest new toys, microphones, cameras, soundboards, anything techno technologically related is usually showcased at NAB in April in Vegas every year. And so I went to this business trip and I was at NAB and they had a new soundboard coming out. And the church that I was working at was uh, interested in purchasing a new soundboard, so they wanted to take a look at it, and they sent a couple of the contractors and employees out to check it out. And this new soundboard that was coming out was running somewhere at the low, low price of about $250,000. Good deal, good deal. And so they let you sample the equipment, and so I sat down at the board and started, you know, touching buttons and turning knobs, uh, looking for stuff. And, and uh, my supervisor at the time, after we left, asked me, so what did I think about the board? I said, it was cool. It, it, it feels nice. It's, but it's not very intuitive to me. Uh, the first thing I do when I step, uh, step up to a soundboard is I look for what's called the gain knob. It's the input sensitivity or voltage knob or, or the volume. I mean, every, every button on the board is volume. But I'm looking for that knob first because when I'm mixing, that is important to me. I need to know where that specific knob is at. If I can find that one knob, I'll be all right. And I couldn't find it. Immediately, I had to look for it and ask the, one of the persons that was selling it where, where, where it was at. And they showed me after they did a couple of mouse clicks on it because it was basically a $250,000 board hooked up to a computer. And after he showed me where it was at, I said, oh, okay. And then I, when they asked me about it, my supervisor and my coworker, they asked me about it later. I say, it's not very intuitive. I couldn't find that knob immediately. And he said, you know what the difference is between my generation and your generation, Johnny? I said, no, what? He said, you all do not read manuals. Here I was trying to come up with an eloquent argument about how if I am a professional and I can't find the game knob immediately, 
that those uh, who were working on it, because the ministry was full of both professionals and volunteers, if a volunteer is doing it, they were going to be in trouble if they couldn't find this knob immediately. So I'm making this adequate argument about it. And he said, well, you don't read manuals. I took that bit of advice with me further along in my career, and 99% of the time going forward as a service engineer, the answer was in the manual. Whenever there was some trouble, they'd call Johnny. You can't get a piece of equipment to work, call Johnny. And I may push two or three buttons, but eventually I would calm down and think about it and let me pull up the manual. And nine times out of ten, the answer was in the manual. This is an internet-driven age where you can Google almost anything, but I've learned when I tried to Google some of the more technical stuff, I found out even when I Googled it, the answer would come up as somebody would say, you're not going to find this answer on the internet. It's going to be in these things called books. And so they have these books and these manuals, and sometimes the manuals get a little complicated. They're, in, they're, they're intimidating. They're, they're hard to look at. And so people started coming out with books that weren't so hard to look at. And first they came out with the dummies books. You could learn something, and it was tax code for dummies. The Internet for dummies. Church and religion for dummies. And the first thing that every one of those books had, because I bought some, there's actually one on my bookshelf right now called Grant Writing for Dummies. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. But um, uh, 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 they, they have them on there, but the first thing that it says in the book is that you're not a dummy for purchasing this book. This is something very complicated, and they did that to, to grab your attention. It's bright yellow with black and white text on it. And so they did that, and now they've kind of moved past the dummies books. And they have the beginner's guides books. And you'll discover pretty quickly that a lot of these beginner's guides are not really simple topics. There is a beginner's guide to web development. There is a beginner's guide to conversion rate optimization. I don't know what that is. Uh, there's a beginner's guide to aerodynamics. There's a beginner's guide to scrum and agile project management. There's even a beginner's guide to constructing the universe. There are guides out here trying to tell you how to do certain things. And the Apostle Paul was writing a guide of sorts telling us how to be Christians when he wrote to these people in Rome, a.k.a. Paul's letters to the Romans. He wrote letters to a bunch of churches, and they argue that this was his most complete and concise letter. I've heard some theologians even call it his uh, Ph.D. dissertation. And he's here talking about a whole lot of different things, and one of the main two things he's talking about is sin and salvation. Uh, and he's letting us know in this, in this book and in, in, in certain, he's making his argument as would somebody arguing a closing brief. He's making the argument about this and letting us know that Jesus is the way to salvation. Uh, the most often quoted verse comes from Paul's letters to the Roman. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Romans 10 and 9. That, that's what he says. That is often, quote, these are the things we learn in Romans that we are more than conquerors. We learn in Romans that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, nor height, nor depth, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come. We learn these things in Romans. And as we come to the part that I read in your hearing, there are things that Paul is making in this argument at the beginning of chapter 6 that we didn't get to. But he lets us know that in layman's term, Paul wants us to reckon and he wants us to know and he wants us to yield. He wants us to know that we have been crucified with Christ. And we need to know that we have been resurrected with Christ. And we need to know that we are dead and alive. We are supposed to be dead to sin and alive to the Savior's resurrection power. And then we got to reckon when he says that we know, he also says we got to reckon that we are to count our crucifixion and resurrection as accomplished events. That means they've already been done. They don't need to be done twice. The first time should have been good enough. And then he describes Two kinds of yielding, and that's where we get to in the, in the text. We have the wrong kind of yielding and the right kind of yielding. Uh, the wrong kind of yielding is where we are not supposed to yield our members of the body as tools to wickedness. Uh, Paul is arguing that the reign of sin has been broken, and because it's broken, it has no business being in control of your life. But not only does it have no business being in control of our lives, it's also our responsibility to make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm, We cannot let sin therefore reign. It's been broken. But we have to act like we know it. You ever been around somebody that doesn't realize what's going on or realize that somebody doesn't have control over them? Uh, you ever had a coworker that went around paying attention to what somebody else said and everything they said, even though that person was not their boss? Uh, that is what Paul is trying to let us know in this text is that sin is no longer your boss. If you are in Christ Jesus, you no longer have to listen to what sin has to say. That doesn't mean that sin is not going to stop talking. It just means you no longer have to listen to it. Uh, As they say, it doesn't matter what somebody calls you. What matters is what you answer to. Uh, So let not sin reign. And in order for that to happen, he's giving us verbs. He's giving us action verbs. So that means you have to do something about it. Uh, It's full of action verbs. And the first thing you got to do about it is let God know that you're available. Uh, Because we are all going to die eventually, Paul's beginner's guide to eternal life, if you will, is a pretty complicated topic. And at least the difficult, and it's difficult to comprehend and even more difficult and sometimes as conversion rate optimization or web development. But fortunately, the apostles Paul is giving us a beginner's guide. And what does he tell us first? He tells us first to present ourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life. Paul is convinced that Jesus has broken the power of sin in human life. So evil should not be our authority. Instead, Paul asks us to see God as our master and to present ourselves to him. We have been brought from death to life by the resurrection of Jesus. And we are now free to trust him and do God's work in the world. Uh, We are going to be responsible to somebody. There is something we worship whether we like to admit it or not. There, whatever we time we spend our time and our talent and our treasure on is what we are worshiping. We might worship at the altar of attention. Trying to impress people that don't like us with money we don't have. 
and things we cannot afford. We might be trying to impress ourselves. We might be worshiping at the altar of some woman or some man. We might be worshiping at the altar of flashy things. Whatever you spending your time on, you are worshiping something. So if you're going to worship something, you might as well worship something good. That attention did not die for your sins. That other person can't heal the sick, open up blinded eyes, and raise the dead. Uh, We ought to put our time and our efforts into things that will give us something back. That's the least we ought to do. Uh, Bob Dylan said in a song, you're going to have to serve somebody. Each and every person is required to serve. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. We all have a master. If we look at what kind of time we spend, something is our master, whether we want to admit it or not. And so the first step that we have to do is understand that we're going to have to spend our time on something and present what we're going to spend our time on to the Lord. Presenting, though, yourself to God assumes that God has a claim in your life. Presenting something to God in that matter operates on the assumption that you know that God is the boss, the ultimate creator of the universe, and there is no one greater to him. This presentation also assumes that having made yourself available, that means submitting yourself to him, uh, you're ready to get some orders. If I say somebody's the boss of me, I need to be able to do what they say. If I say somebody is the boss of me, I got to be willing to do what they said. And we can't live like God is our boss and then not do what he says. Uh, and if you, this prepares us for eternity because we say if we let something else take control, it will. Sin is not supposed to have dominion over you. You have transferred your status. But you have to act like it. I remember going to Prairie View the first couple of weeks. And because I had came from Indianapolis, Indiana, I had not taken what they call the TASP test. And because I hadn't taken the TASP test, here I am ready to be an electrical engineering major trying to sign up for calculus and physics and chemistry and all of these classes. And I go and they say, baby, we don't have a TASP test file on file for you. So you're going to have to take this remedial math, this remedial English, this general studies course, and and, and a remedial science class. That's going to be your schedule. I didn't go to those classes. I I took took it. I, I let them put that on my schedule, but I immediately signed up for the task test because I was going to take it and pass it. I understood where I was mentally. I did not let what they had labeled me be my end. Just because they had labeled me remedial didn't mean I had to act like I was remedial. And so I walked in and I took that test and they give you five hours to take three sections of the test. I took it in an hour and a half and took a nap. And I got up at the two hour mark and gave them my test and handed it back and the person said on the way out, you'll be back. And I said, oh no I won't. And I got the pass and I passed the task test, got out of the remedial classes and got into the calculus and got into the the physics and got into the electronics classes because I knew what I was. I did not allow this label to hold me down. 
You cannot allow this label of sinner to hold you down. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You are a child of God. You are the apple of his eye. You are the righteousness of God. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and shall never be in me. You are the lender and not the borrower. Do not let these labels they put on you hold you down. this married couple going on vacation in Rome and they had decided at the beginning that they wanted to get this full experience of Rome so they went on a guided tour and they went on this guided tour and they had decided I'm going to stay next they're going to stay next to the guide and when they got next to the guide they were able to hear everything that the guide was explaining to them and they were fully able to enjoy the trip until they got to one point and they saw something that had caught their attention, so they stopped to take a few extra pictures. And when they looked up, the rest of the crowd had kept moving. And the rest of the crowd had kept moving, and as they caught up with the crowd, they were at the back. And because they were at the back, they could no longer hear what the guide was, what instructions and, and explanations that the guide was giving them that sullied their experience. When you allow something to separate you from the leader, you will not have as great of an experience. When you don't spend time getting close to God, you are not going to have the same experience. But when you spend that time getting closer to God, when you spend that time studying to show thyself approved, understanding that a workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you read this manual and spend that time in study and spend that time in prayer and spend that time doing the work of the Lord, you get closer to the leader and you enjoy your experience. I know another story about a particular pastor that was learning to ride a motorcycle. And their motorcycle teacher told them, wherever you turn your eyes is where you're going to go. So if you spend your time with your head aiming towards a ditch, you and your motorcycle are going to be in that ditch. If you spend your time turning your head into the oncoming traffic, you and that motorcycle are going to be in that oncoming traffic. So we talk about this power of sin and we talk about being obedient instead of being obedient to sin and then being obedient to righteousness. It's all about where you turn your head. Where are we turning our head? We have to turn our head on things that are forward and not behind us, that are above and not beneath, that are God-driven and not man-driven. If you turn your head away, you'll get caught up in stuff that don't matter. And when you get caught up in stuff that don't matter, you will end up getting separated from the leader. So that person on your job trying to test your patience is something that doesn't matter. Some of the arguments that we have about other stuff are things that don't matter. One thing that I've started to try to do in order to make myself calm down about certain things is ask myself, will this matter in 500 years? And if it won't matter in 500 years, I don't get as upset about it. We have to, we have to focus on what we turn our head and turn our head towards the good things and not the bad. 
and not get caught up in stopping on the wayside by the, the, the details that don't matter, sweating the small stuff, and it is all small stuff. And so they have this wrong kind. And, 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 and we move from that to, we, we move to that from confusion and correction, amen. Uh, they, he, he puts out the argument that since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can do whatever we want? Certainly not. I chuckle every time I see certainly not or by no means in a Pauline letter. Because when you pull out the Greek on those that's certainly not or that by no means in a Pauline letter, it's really a no. But it's an emphatic no. Not a, not a regular no. But something in front of it. I mean, I'm not going to violate the sacred pulpit by actually saying it out loud. But we all know what kind of no we're talking about. We all know what kind of no this is. And so he means it. We are not supposed to just run around and do whatever it is we're trying to do. No, that's just to understand that we are no longer slaves to sin. But we ought to be slaves to righteousness in God. Uh, we realize that whatever we choose to obey becomes our master. So we can choose to lead a life of sin which leads to death or we can choose to receive God's approval and do what God says for us to do. We choose to mess up most of the time. We get dressed up to mess up. We plan it. We clear our schedule. We, we plan these things and then we act like I don't know what happened. We go out our way to chase those things and then we say it's not our master. I can say I love my wife. I do. But if I don't prove it, if I don't spend the time putting my time and effort into it, the words become meaningless. So we can choose to be slaves to sin or we can choose to be slaves to God and God's righteousness. And allow me to take a bit of a, 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 a liberation theology Afrocentric break. This wasn't in the sermon, but I think about it every time I see the word slave in the text. Uh, we have a lot of people that like to make this argument and talk about how slavery was brought or how Christianity rather was brought on our people by slavery. <clears throat> they make this argument that the only reason black people in America are Christians is because the slave masters taught it to them. There is some truth to that. But the reason they are, even if we were to take away the scrolls that are found by African tribes and we were to take away all of these people who, who, are, are, who were our church fathers that were educated in Carthage and African countries, if we were to take away all of that, if we were to take away the temples that were building, built like Solomon all across Africa, if we were to take that away, let's just say, yes, they, they, they threw Christianity on us as a slave master. It's not because of the religion itself. That is why they made it illegal for us to read. Because 
if we would have been able to read, we would have understood that especially a text like this was not talking about slavery as in massive beating us. This was not the kind of slavery he was talking about. He was talking about being a slave to sin no longer and being a slave to Jesus Christ. And so they, they make this argument and it sounds good and it tickles some people's heart and it makes them feel good. But that ain't what it really meant. And so we are now set free from sin. But we got to spend our time somewhere. Might as well spend our time and our talent and our energy on something that is good. 